Shake and Blake presents Countdown and Voice from the Past. Welcome to Shaken Blake, the monthly podcast about Blake 7, as shared between Earth2.net and GeekPlanetOnline.com. My name's Ian Wilson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Dave Private. Hello there! Why, hello, Dave. Hello! <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm very well, sir. How, how's the moustache coming? Oh yes, um, it, it's November. And it is November, yes. As of day of recording, uh, it's the sixth of November. Uh, so I've only really been doing it for six days, but uh, it is currently of a sandpaper-like texture. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and, and being a young man as I am, uh, it's not quite grown out, full and bushy and bristly and in a mere six days, but uh, I've got the entire month to go, um, and uh, with any luck, raising plenty of money for uh, prostate and testicular cancer. Or that's to say, that's to say, the prevention of uh, said cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not some sort of Bond villain raising money <laughs> for, to spread cancer in meant prostates. <laughs> By getting millions to grow moustaches, that would be insane. <laughs> it would. It would be <laughs> surreal. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so that's what I'm up to, and um, just just uh, keeping on, keeping on up here in the godforsaken north. <laughs> well, I can't say fairer than that, I suppose. <laughs> well, um. Normally we go to the feedback, but the feedback's been a little dry this month. Yes. I, I, blame, I blame the recession. <laughs> but uh, we do have some feedback for one of the episodes from uh, our good friends, the Reverend Peter Organ and Amory. So we'll get to that later on. But I can replace the feedback with news. Hooray! There is news. Good lord. Uh, the good people at Big Finish have announced their first three. Um, audio dramas. Okay. Uh, basically, they're, what they're going to be is sort of uh, enhanced audio books. So there's going to be sort of... They've done it with the uh, Companion Chronicles in the past as well. It's just been sort of one main person reading and then somebody else acting as, um, you know, like another character there. And they'll have, like, effects and stuff in the background. So uh, these three stories are The Turing Test by Simon Gurrier, which is going to star Paul Darrow as Avon and Michael Keating as Villa. Awesome. Uh, Solitary by Nigel Farris, starring Michael Keating as Villa and Anthony Howell as Neron. Presumably that's a new character for the story. Okay. And Counterfeit by uh, Peter Anghilides, apologise if I'm pronouncing that wrong, starring Gareth Thomas as Blake and Paul Darrow as Avon. 
Ho ho! Yes. Wow. So, as I say, these are going to be released on the 28th of February 2012, and apparently, chronological placement, they are set between Project Avalon and Breakdown. So they're going to be sort of set in sort of Series 1. Okay. That's just as well, because I can't really comment on later seasons. No. no. Keeping it relatively simple. So, yeah, so, so we have that to look forward to in the new year. Oh, brilliant. So, with, a, with all that said and done, shall we jump into our first episode? Okay, then. Yeah, breaking into a Federation stronghold must have taken some doing. How many men did you have? About 150. They came from resistance groups all over the planet. But you planned the organisation? Initially, but it didn't take me long to realise I'd need a professional leader. You mean you hired a mercenary? Yes. He organised the revolution on the planet Arcos, others before that. He has a very good record. <laughs> I made contact, he agreed to help, but demanded a very substantial sum. Mercenaries generally do. No, I think the price was to satisfy his ego, to prove he's the best in his field. He's certainly very good at his job to get your men in here. Where is he? He should be back. I'll fetch him. Oh, what's his name? Grant. Del Grant. What's the matter? Nothing. It's not important. I was a little surprised, that's all. Why? Do you know him? I once knew somebody called Del Grant, but it was a long time ago. I doubt that this is the same man. You don't seem very eager to find out. Why? There are matters that remain to be settled between us. Like what? I told you, it's not important. If it is not important, then why did his name have such a strong effect upon you? Because the Del Grant that I knew said that if we ever met again, he would kill me. Okay. Uh, so, we start with Countdown. Um, in it, Richard Whiteley sits there. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I was absolutely waiting for that. <laughs> Crack. Cracks a bad joke with uneasy timing, but a big smile on his face. Whilst Carol Vorderman puts letters on a board. <laughs> so, <laughs> what actually happens? Um, we start off in uh, some kind of base uh, upon the planet of Albion, as run by the Federation. However, it is under attack, and it turns out that... The Federation force there are a bit overwhelmed by to the extent where there is a 93% chance um, that they will succeed as uh, weighed up by their probability computer. So the boss there, called uh, Provine, um, he decides, right, I tell you what, we have planned for this, so uh, let's put the plan into action. So he and his associate, Selson, um, get into an escape tunnel and uh, tell the third-ranking officer there to uh, essentially uh, set a charge four minutes after they leave. Um, Unfortunately for them, uh, part of the tunnel collapses inwards, kills Selson, and pretty much traps Provine because the... Uh, resistance force bursts in and shoots the other commander, although he does manage uh, to set off the uh, self-destruct sequence uh, before he collapses down dead. And uh, the leaders of the rebel force note that uh, they only have so long to shut it down and uh, they need to 
uh, beam an emergency distress signal for any help they can possibly get before the bomb goes off. It just so happens that in the nearby orbit uh, around the planet is the Liberator, and the Liberator crew are there pretty coincidentally because uh, they want to take Provine or Provine in for questioning because Blake wants to find out the location of a Federation control centre. Well, it's the, it's, it's the control centre he was looking for in Pressure Point, because Travis said it had been moved. He's now dedicating himself to find out where they've moved it to. All right, so his feeling of remorse immediately after the events of Pressure Point lasted one episode. Pretty much. Right. Okay, makes sense, I suppose. Um, so they beam down and uh, meet up with uh, the leading rebels and assess the situation. And Avon says, well, I can stop this. However, this is just the transmitter. The real bomb has to be somewhere. It could be anywhere else on the planet. Um, so as they try and find out the location of uh, said bomb. Provine uh, manages to knock out one of the rebel leaders and uh, escape. Makes his way up to the uh, deck of a rocket Is it a one-man kind of rocket ship? Or... No, there must be space for a few more. Yeah, it, it's a small sort of shuttle, basically. Yes, because this was initially where the escape tunnel was going to lead to. Yeah. Uh, but now he has to go through there whilst it is in control of the rebels. And uh, despite the fact that there are two people guarding it, um, Provine manages to kill one of them, and after a standoff where the other one seems to have him cornered, tries to convince him to come with him, but... Uh, the rebel's faith is too strong. So instead, in a very cool scene, um, Provine <laughs> manages to actually activate the rocket and use the distraction to disarm the guard and shoot him down. And uh, proceeds to steal his clothes so that now he blends in and can walk all around uh, um, the facility. And uh, as he's doing this, uh, the rebel leader introduces Blake and Avon and Villa to the mercenary who helped uh, help them succeed in taking over the complex, a chap called Del Grant. And um, Avon's not entirely happy to see this chap because he knew a guy called Del Grant who once said that he'd kill him if he ever saw him again. And unfortunately for Avon, this is the self-same Del Grant. Um, so there's there's a little bit of tension there. And as uh, it progresses, it seems that uh, their argument occurs over uh, a woman called Anna, who back in the past, uh, Del blames uh, her death on Avon, essentially leaving her to her fate on a Federation torture table. and um, But they are pretty much forced to work together as two computer operatives to disarm the bombs. So once they have managed to track it down under a polar ice cap, 
uh, Villa and Grant beam up to the Liberator to prepare for the wintry conditions and uh, are then tasked with uh, disarming it before the timer runs out. And back at base, the big thing is still trying to find uh, Provine. Blake decides that he'll go and uh, check up on the rocket base. So um, Raleigh, the female um, rebel leader who was knocked out earlier by Provine, uh, goes for, well, summons a guard to uh, escort Blake or to go with Blake for backup. And uh, then she and Villa go through the records to try and work out the identity of Provine, who just so happens to be the man that she sent Blake off with. <laughs> um, so they have uh, a scuffle once they get to the uh, rocket control room. Uh, Blake manages to turn the tables on Provine and uh, shoot him. And as he lies dying, manages to get the information, well, some of the information he needs out of the dying Provine. Uh, that is to say that the new. Uh, Federation control base is on a place called Star One, and to get there, he needs to go and find a... I have it down in my notes somewhere, but I've actually lost my place. (laughs) Uh, Some kind of cyber surgeon called uh, Dockley. Uh, So Blake presses for him, it's like, where's Dockley? Where's Dockley? Um, But uh, Praveen very rudely dies, so uh, he's he's not able to find out the information. Uh, so the time is seemingly against them, and Blake had given even a, a kind of time with which to finish his mission, otherwise just to teleport back up to the Liberator, just so that he's out of harm's way. Uh, but Avon decides to remove the teleport bracelet so that he can finish the job. It won't be within the deadline set by Blake, but he reckons he can get it done just uh, before the timeline definitely does run out. And despite the fact that the building that they're in kind of collapses upon the two of them, Avon just manages to stop the bomb or inserts uh, the necessary safeguards to uh, prevent uh, the bomb going off and flooding the entire planet with uh, deadly radiation. So they beam back up to the Liberator uh, and say their goodbyes. Um, Del and Avon leave on better terms than they did at the beginning of the episode. And um, that's pretty much all of that. That has to be the shortest synopsis I've ever done. Yeah, well, it is a very, (laughs) very simple story, really. I suppose. Um, But it, you know it's bloody good. It's brilliant. This is one of the best episodes that I have seen in a long time. And it's telling that it's Terry Nation back in the writer's chair for this. Yes, absolutely. Because he's, he's been uh, lacking last uh, few episodes of Shake and Blake, and uh, here he is back in the chair, and he's delivered a blinder. Yeah, uh, well, I think this is only... <laughs> I think... I, I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia app entry. And uh, this is only the third one that he's done this season. Uh, the other two being Redemption and Pressure Point, both of which were pretty major episodes. Yeah. 
And I suppose this one is as well, because it's it starts the uh, sequence towards the end of the season. Yes. The opening fight, for a start, is just epic and brutal. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, there are people punching each other. I mean, it's proper kung fu moves being pulled out. And not, <laughs> and not crap sort of, like, I studied fighting at RADA. Either. There's, a, there's a proper sort of hardcore stuff going on. Mm. It's quite graphic in places as well. I know when they, uh, the rebels burst in and kill that commander, when he rises oh, back yeah, up yeah. again to activate them, he's covered in blood. Like, you just <laughs> see his blood-soaked hand sort of pressing the detonator button. Yeah. Shit! (laughs) (laughs) This is taking it up a level. And and again, the guard that that Blake discovers in the rocket room. Again, I mean, he's stripped down, and you know, there's blood all over his corpse. Yeah, they they certainly took the sort of uh, realism up a level for this episode. They have, yes. Especially compared to the crimos last season, (laughs) (laughs) like last episode as well. You know. Yes. Well, enough about them. That, that... We've, we've gone from crimos running away from polystyrene rocks to people lying in pools of their own blood. Yeah. Having had seven shades of shit kicked out of them by, like, space commandos. Well, they're, they're not even really commandos, though. They're essentially the oppressed people of a planet, and uh, they've called in the help of uh, Del Grant, uh, a noted mercenary, uh, to help bring in other forces with, with which to help out. And, um... Or as it says in my notes, Del Grant, space badass. <laughs> he is Christ, isn't he? He's awesome, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Just at the end of the episode, like, take him with you! He yeah. is so competent! Well, that's, this yeah. man has managed to successfully do what Blake could do on Earth! <laughs> What was it? What was he say? Oh no! I need to go back down there because I need to collect my fee. And even could say, "Okay, well, we'll wait ten minutes. You can collect your fee." So yeah. either that will go. Like, have you seen the massive room full of cash on our spaceship? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever we've got, it's more than they're paying you. But he he is so good though as well, and the the the, the subplot with Avon throughout. Uh, it just adds, like, another layer to what is already a, a fairly... I mean, you, you said it was a straightforward story, but there's a lot going on at the same time. One is obviously the fact that there's a ticking clock. Another is the fact that Avon and Grant have to stop said ticking clock whilst working over an immensely personal grievance. And the third is you've got this utter bastard running around... Um, <laughs> Uh, the facility without people knowing where it is. I mean, there, there is a lot going on here, but at the same time, in terms of actual plot, I mean, compared to something like Shadow, which probably had as many story threads, but were all sort of tying into each other and just got weird. Yeah, well, I think with this episode, they all tied together. They all started in kind of the same place and all kind of finished at yeah. the same time. Whereas Shadow, what was, was going a, on there? Just what was going on there? It was a bit of a mess. It's fair to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, why don't we? Why don't we tackle the um, Grant and Avon okay. thing? Seeing as you brought it up, right? Okay. I mean, what do you think? Because obviously, this is a 
major piece of character development for Avon. Oh yeah, it's it's huge. You get a lot of Avon's backstory here. Yes. Um, I mean, you thought with Killer that we'd got the kind of backstory that kind of got Avon uh, to the London prison ship, and therefore that's how he, he was worked into this series. But with this revelation about his past, it shows you the kind of person he he was way before those events. I mean, it showed that he was he was still a criminal. He was still on the wrong side of the Federation rather than working within trying to you know, try, trying to steal off of them. He was there with his partner and um, uh, unfortunately events conspired against them and uh, it ended not just tragically with regards to his relationship with Anna, but then uh, also it's uh, given him a kind of mortal enemy somewhere out there in space, who he then spends most of this episode working together alongside. I think it's interesting considering um, sort of what, how we've seen sort of Avon relationship-wise in the past. I mean, there was that line in um, uh, Duel when you know, Gan calls him on not caring for anybody and mm. Avon says, I've never yeah. understood why it should be necessary to act irrationally to prove that you care for somebody or why it should be necessary to prove it at all. Yeah. And there was that, there's that kind of hearse in the way he sort of like describes that. You're kind of getting that kind of background to it, you know? Yeah. That Avon did have somebody that he cared about and lost her in, in a way that he couldn't help. Yeah, and Duel was written by Terry Nation. Exactly. Yes. And so it's that, I mean, like, just to fill in the background, uh, sort of what happens is you know, um, Avon was going to get uh, security passes for them to get away from wherever it was they were getting away from. Uh, by the time he got there to do the deal with the fellow who's going to sell them the passes, the other guy sort of like upped the price by about ten times. Yeah. Uh, saying that he could actually collect more money if he just turned Avon over. So Avon killed him. <laughs> but because c- it was a little bit more difficult than he was expecting, he, he was wounded and he ended up passing out. And then he uh, some, some passers-by found him and took him in. By which time Anna had been captured and she was tortured to death. And in all that time, never gave up Avon. Yeah, but Grant's version of it is that, well, Grant's understanding of the situation was that Avon just, as soon as he got his security pass, he left and ditched Anna. So that's why he blames Avon for Anna's death. Because as far as Grant is concerned, he ditched Anna and just left her for the Federation to pick up. So you can completely understand Grant's grievance oh, in yeah. this as well. Well, but he, I mean, they, they must, there must have been a, a final meeting between Avon and Grant in some way because Avon said earlier, Vidal Grant I used to know, said the next time he saw me he'd kill me so um, there clearly wasn't time for them to actually straighten out their grievance at the time Yeah, I mean I think this is possibly the first sort of inklings of especially the the amount of character development we've seen for Avon in the last couple of episodes the more of his past we've had filled in it's just sort of reinforcing the fact that he's a way more interesting character than Blake. Yeah, well, mm, I mean, he's certainly got a lot more going on 
uh, beneath the surface level. And I think that's been pretty clear ever since he was first introduced. Yeah. Which is why potentially there is more that you can do with Avon, whereas Blake, I mean, his history's already been given for the most yeah. part. Um, so uh, he fulfills the role of protagonist and leader. Yeah. But with regards to creating stories around someone, then obviously it makes a bit more sense to kind of focus on Avon. Well, we have had stories dealing with other people that the crew have met in the past. I mean, we had the uh, the Amagans, who Jenna used to uh, run with for a while. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Space Arabs. <laughs> I don't remember you being a big fan of those guys. Just the costume. <laughs> Characters were fine, costume was shit. Yes. So, yeah, so we've had that kind of background. We've had a bit of background about Callie, about what, what yeah, the fact she can't go home and... You know, and her people. Uh, Villa, we've had not had too much background of. No. But, um, but Avon's background, again, has been relatively untouched, except in the last few episodes. And they've really started to sort of uh, flesh out his, his back history now. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't uh, technically someone that Avon was on good terms with, because um, it kind of goes back to that joke uh, that Villa had on during Killer, um, where it goes, oh, I always knew uh, Avon had a friend. I keep saying to myself, yeah, Avon has a friend somewhere out there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the, the friend turns out to be a treacherous bastard, but... Um... <laughs> Which is the closest thing Avon has to friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always interesting to see the kind of events that shape Avon into, you know, how he is when we when we first meet him, because, you know, he was blatantly the antagonist at the time when we're meant to be really rooting for Blake, but as Blake has gradually grown more and more unsympathetic, Avon has grown more and more sympathetic, in contrast. Yeah, it's been a nice sort of uh, flip-flop of the two characters, really. Mm, yeah. Now, uh, especially, what... especially right at the end. Because um, the, the oh first, yes, because the first time we we know why uh, Avon and Grant hate each other is because they they take their conversation outside into the corridor, uh, which Blake overhears a little bit of. In fact, they're only interrupted because Blake's uh, wrist communicator um, his teleport bracelet goes off. So right at the yeah. end, um, Blake says so. You're not going to tell me about Anna? And Avon says, you wouldn't understand. And he he just walks off. And the episode ends with Blake smirking. What a twat. <laughs> oh, I was going to suggest, um, uh, Grant teleporting down to the planet at the end of the episode, and the ship yep. leaving. Race yep. the cat one? I'd say so, yes. Yep. Um, Thing is, I mean, I, I know before Mitchell in feedback, did uh, postulate an idea that maybe the teleport bracelets return on their own. But seeing as we've never seen it in the show, no. certainly thus far, I think we just have to go with, as, as much as it's a good theory, I think we, we have to go with what's shown on screen, really. Well, theoretically, um, haven't we seen Aurak teleport people down before? I, I don't remember whether it's 
whether they needed bracelets for that or not. They they, they needed bracelets or they I operate the teleport, but right, but okay, because it's the metal in the bracelet that makes the teleport work. That's right. Yes, having the bracelet onto teleport is a big plot point for this story as well. Yes, yes, it is. In fact, you 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 wonder if it's going to work because. Uh, even decides to just chuck both of them in, in a big puddle of water. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to take your bracelet off because you don't want to get teleported up, but just to toss them in this <laughs> yeah. puddle is possibly... <laughs> it's like, if you're having second thoughts, like, three seconds before the timer goes off, you're like, oh dear, it's circuited out. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I deserve my irradiated death. Well, again, the, um, the the radiation from the bomb is a very interesting idea as well, because it's described as sodium radiation. And you know, this big doomsday device is described as leaving all the buildings and installations intact, killing all the organic life, but then dissipating in about a day, allowing the Federation to just come back and repopulate it all from the start. I mean, that's yeah. a horrible and fiendishly ingenious idea. And as Blake notes, typical of the Federation. Yeah. Or does he say uh, things are more important than people? Uh, yes, yes, that's exactly what he said. Um, and it, you know, it, it fits perfectly within their MO. Um, cause we, oh, absolutely, we, from what we've seen of the Federation thus far. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I mean, we get the, the backstory of um, the planet of Albion as done by their leader, uh, Calder, um, who notes that they were pretty much strong-armed into joining the Federation um, without really wanting to. And then they did everything they could through diplomatic channels uh, to try and secede from it. But um, absolutely nothing worked. And the Federation was such a drain on their resources and not allowing them to go through with like the, the proper democratic system. But... Um, you know, things just got so desperate that they actually risked this strike. Because, I mean, what happens in this episode has always been held over the heads of these people that if they were ever to, you know, show any signs of uh, resistance, then um, this is what would happen. They'd simply just completely irradiate the planet uh, and kill everyone. And uh, come right back down. So, you know, it, it, theoretically, Albion is in their stranglehold throughout, but um, it's just managed to come off thanks to the intervention of the Liberator. Well, thanks to the intervention of Del Grant. Well, <laughs> a, a little of column A, a little of column B. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yes, because, uh, I mean, Del, as much as says at the beginning, it's like. I'm sorry, Cold. Uh, I've won you a battle, but lost you the war. Yeah. I mean, um, what did you make of Provine? Awesome. Isn't he just? I love. I I, I could have swore that there might have been a line somewhere saying that he's like a distant cousin of Avon, because <laughs> he he has that air, doesn't he? Oh yeah, he's just a fantastic villain. I mean, yeah. he's played really, really well. Yeah. And, yeah, he gets some great moments of dialogue, and yeah, he's just very well written as well. It's, he's, his escape plan goes basically tits up, but he's 
cunning enough to use his ingenuity to sort of sneak out of the base to knock people out. He uses his um, badass ninja skills to take out one of the uh, guards on the rocket, and then when he gets cornered by the other one, starts using his more persuasive abilities to try and talk him into sort of, hey, you know, why don't, you know this planet's going to get destroyed and everything. Why don't you just come on this shuttle with me? I'll We'll come back. We'll repopulate it. With immigrants, not uh, you and me together, repopulate the planet. I hate the planet. <laughs> that's, yes. that, that's not the proposition he's making. Well, it, it, it wouldn't really work either, would it? No. no. <laughs> but, uh, but back Albion. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean that's a very good scene, and it it shows you that this is a very capable villain. And uh, as I said during the synopsis, the way he dispatches that guy is brilliant. Um, it helps that he's kind of outlined by the fire of the rocket as he's shooting the gun. Yeah, and he just sort of beat, and he just beats the shit out of the bloke first as well. But it really yeah. there's some very well choreographed fights in this episode. Yeah, especially when you consider the sort of standard of fight choreography we've seen thus far, <laughs> which, which at times has been a little bit ropey. Which is why it's disappointing you don't actually see all that much of it between him and Blake towards the end. Yeah. Um, it's literally Villa just walking along going, that's proving, that's proving, and Blake's like, yeah, I figured that out. Um, you know what saddens me? What? That the guy playing proving wasn't cast as Travis. Yeah. Or or at least recast uh, for this season. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. That, oh, yeah. If, yeah. if this guy had been picked to replace Stephen Grief, it would have been a completely different series, I think. Again, there's there's a similarity Oh, yeah, I mean, there's very strong sort of Travis Prime elements to the character. I mean, but, I mean, that's the reason why, like, the end of last season, I really wanted more Avon-Travis Prime interaction than there was, because they, you know, they, they were of the same temperament. They were just on, like, opposite sides of uh, the struggle. And now yeah. I, I, see, I see Avon having... A, a lot more time with cosplay Travis, and I'm just not as infused. No. Uh, <laughs> mainly because it involves cosplay Travis. Ma- mainly. Mainly. <laughs> um, and we're not going to spoil the next episode. No. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, this guy, he does have all those... I mean, like Avon, he's not adverse to knocking out a woman. Um, and... I mean, it, every kind of setback that he suffers, he ha- he has a way out of. It's like, uh, okay, they're about to break into the compound. Right, we'll, we'll set the plan to... Oh, no, this tunnel has uh, crushed the, the guy that I really don't like very much. Um, that's all right. I can listen into their plans and uh, try and find my way up to the rocket. And then when the rocket's deactivated again he, he tries to cut a, a deal with the guy who has him at gunpoint who he proceeds to kill and steal the clothes of so at every turn you know he, he he's adaptable and um, if it weren't for the fact that Blake is a slightly better wrestler or has slightly better upper body strength then um, he could well have survived the whole episode. Indeed. 
I think it goes to show the strength of the writing and the quality of the performance that you still take Provine as a threat, even though he's one man outnumbered on his own, surrounded yeah. by sort of rebel. By rights, you should be thinking this guy's screwed. Yeah, but, yeah. But but because he yeah again the writing's so good and the performance is so strong, instead you're worried about the rebels because you're thinking, well, <laughs> this guy's good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this guy could take them all out one by one if he wanted to. Yeah, they're absolutely. Amazing villain. I'm like, kind of sorry he died. Yeah, that that is the problem. It's like when the only recurring villains tend to be Servalan and Travis. It's like you. you <laughs> it's a bit of a shame. It's it's like comic book movies when like the villain always seems to die at the end, or yeah. at least or at least they used to. Cause you're like, oh, we don't get to see them again. Yeah. Unless you're Willem Dafoe, where you're too, <laughs> awesome. you're too awesome to even stay dead. <laughs> One thing that did tickle me was um when they're disabling the bomb, uh, Dell and Avon, yeah. and they're drilling into it, but they quite clearly have a regular cordless drill that they've made a bit spacey <laughs> and given it a little bit of a science fiction whizzy sound effect and yeah it's just a drill it's just it, a bog standard like i can perfectly accept that they still have drills in the future <laughs> I, I don't need you to try and space it up it's a drill fine yeah you know, they need a drill they have a drill I, sa- I don't need a sci-fi sound effect to convince <laughs> me it's a space drill in the, in the same way that the rods that then go in the holes th- those are clearly nails <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pass me the the, the plasma. Ro- I I was holding the last pra- plasma. Ro- no, it's a nail. And to be very, they were just called the rods, not plasma rods. Okay, okay. I, I don't know where you've conjured up the plasma from, but <laughs> I'm inventing more science fiction stuff. To, okay. <laughs> to, to disguise the fact that essentially it's B and Q tools. <laughs> being used to, to foil a, a radioactive space bomb. age branch of B&Q which the Liberator stopped off at yes. where Villa gets all of his um, gear from exactly Well, again I mean Villa at least at this point Villa when he goes down to the planet actually serves a purpose opening doors yeah well he opens doors and he uh, gets the safe open which is quite vital because they need to get yes. the safe open to find out where the um... <laughs> yeah Yes, uh, it should open like a dream. Yes. <laughs> More like a nightmare. I, I've touched on this before already, though. Blake continues in his one-man douchebag campaign. <laughs> but throughout, I mean, he has the... He might have the best of intentions, but he's he's an arse. Throughout... <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of just like more instances, but yes, he's just like, oh, well done, a eh, uh, villa. That safe kind of exploded, didn't it? He's like, fuck you! You wanted it open, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. And how about when um, Probing dies? He's just like, I'll see you in hell. It's <laughs> like <laughs> <So>, what? <laughs> yeah. But- Gaff Thomas isn't really good with sort of uh, bitter kiss-off lines, is he? This is not his strong suit. 
<laughs> oh, I, I know what the notes are wrote down. It was um, uh, Villa showing the, the launch doors of the rocket pad. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, hey, I can open them. Oh, I can close here. So, oh, great. Let, let's just hope no one heard us, shall we? Yeah, that is a bit of a cock-up on Villa's part, though. I mean, like, you know, considering they were trying to enter the base incognito to find out what was going on, so like opening and closing the launch doors. Like, I can see their launch doors. I don't <laughs> need to open them to prove that they're launch doors. They weren't particularly noisy launch doors, though. <laughs> well, maybe that's a slightly um, slight disconnect between sound design and script. Ah, uh, maybe. Maybe they, maybe they yeah, in the script they're intended to be quite noisy, but they've actually made them all sort of smooth sounding and enterprise doorsy. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, we have the return of uh, the Callian Jenner Space Reception Agency. <laughs> yeah, they spend the entire episode sat behind the desk. Exactly. It's the whole episode. <laughs> Just annoying each other. It's like a bit towards the end, like Callie's drumming her fingers, <laughs> waiting to hear from Blake, and Jenner's like, please stop doing that. <laughs> so that's the bit that's their character development you, you can almost see the pair of them ma- ma- making a mental note to call their agents <laughs> well that's that's what leads to clearly getting a better part in the next episode because <laughs> in fairness they have a lot more to do in the, in the next yes. episode but, although, although Callie still doesn't leave the ship uh, true but that's got to be, what, getting on for six episodes straight? Callie hasn't left the ship? Ooh. Um, I think you might be right. Because she didn't leave during Pressure Point, did she? No. Let, let, let me just call up the uh, the episode guide here, then we'll see if we can work out how, how many episodes it's been since Callie left the ship. Well, before Pressure Point was Horizon... She left the ship in Horizon. Right. Right, so she stays on board for Pressure Point. She stays on board in Trial. Stays on board in Killer. <laughs> stays on board in Hostage. Stays on board in Countdown. And stays on board in Voice of the Past. So that's... Six. Yeah. yeah. The last six episodes, Callie has been stuck on the ship. <laughs> that, that's not good, is it? <laughs> well, she's the experienced resistance fighter. Yeah, they keep taking Villa. <laughs> like Gan's been out more recently than Callie has. <laughs> Look where that got him. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, that's that's not good really, is it? <laughs> yeah, but... I'm trying to keep our eyes open for the episode when Callie is finally allowed onto a planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If if there is if there is a downside to this episode, it is the fact that again we have the Edith Blyton esque. Yeah, the, the the female characters are again very poorly served. Yeah. Although having said that, at least Nation gives Villa a reason to be on the planet surface. Because certainly in Hostage, he had no business being there. Uh, I just don't get why they can't find something for the girls to do. You know, they, they never had this problem in Series 1. No, That's I mean... Like, series 1, everybody played a part. You know, sometimes it'd be Jeddah going down, sometimes it'd be Callie going down. I mean, I understand that Villa is a good character to write for. Yes. And is a fun character. And I can see why the writers would like to have a storyline which features Villa and Avon in. 
Yeah. But it just seems that at times they're because they're focusing on that, they're sidelining what are, certainly from series one were two very good, strong female characters, and yet for most of this series they've been locked up or just not gone anywhere. So stay at home, Lord, make me a cup of tea. I mean, it's, it is very weird. I mean, especially because... It, I mean, it's not just the fact it's the women. It's just that I think the show has kind of become so much about Blake, Avon and Villa that the other writers kind of lose interest in, in the other characters, which is why Gan's been sacrificed. And then, you know, you've, you've got Jenner and Callie <laughs> not doing very much of anything. Yeah. I've, I, it might be exactly what you've said. It's just like, it's so much fun to write for the other three characters that Callie, Jen, and back in the day, Gan, um, were just getting sidelined. Yeah. It's sort of frustrating, especially when you sort of watch them in quite close succession as well and you start to notice that that's what's happening. I mean, yeah, possibly on a week-to-week basis you would notice it less, but when you watch them, you know, like a couple of episodes at a time on a regular basis, you're going to go, well, hang on a minute, they're still on the ship, they're still on the ship. When, when, when do they get off the ship? Why are they even on the show? They're just going to stay on the ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you say, I, mean, I think this is sort of the nadir for it, really. It's just the, they are the space perceptionists. Yeah, it, it doesn't help that they're like the remaining... <laughs> well, the remaining. They are the female characters, and you know they're they're being left whilst the other three go off on a boy's own adventure. Yeah, <laughs> to wherever. It's not like they haven't been. I mean, like say, like Jenna in Project Avalon was shooting Federation guards left, right, and centre. Yeah, and Callie is you know in in other episodes was you know sending out telepathic messages and. Kicking people in the face in a fur coat and all sorts of stuff. It... <laughs> she, she was climbing up ridiculous buildings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just thought all of that just seems to be completely sidelined. It, it, it's just a bit sad. It's certainly not good. No, it, it just feels like a waste of two really good characters. I mean, because that's the thing. Because it's an, at the end of the day, it's meant to be an ensemble cast. So you, you know, you have these people of varying abilities, surely you should write for those people. You'd think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do we have anything else to uh, say about this episode then, apart from the fact that it's awesome? I'm happy to stick with it's awesome. Definitely one of the highlights of the series, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. definitely. It'll certainly get mentioned in the uh, the big series roundup at the end of the season. Yes. Right, well, having said that, shall we uh, press on with the next episode? If we must. Approaching boundary of Atlas Avenge Zone. Security force walls in operation. Prepare for teleport to Atlas Shuttle. To destiny, my friends. To destiny. destiny. One moment. Avon, listen to Orak. Just listen. Your dreams, Blake. Yes. They were stimulated for you by the influence of a beamed telepathy transmission. Telepathy? What about these people here? The governor, the arbiter general, aren't they real enough for you? Your weapon. No, Ragu. Our two friends must be convinced without threats of force. No true bid for peace was born from coercion. Agreed. Only from truth and trust. All right. 
Then give us the truth about this so-called course interceptor from Auron. The Arbiter General will show it to you. Certainly. That, according to Aurac, has direct control over your mind. Well, the device was simply beamed into the circuitry of your navigational computer. Ah, well, in that case, you won't mind leaving it here on the Liberator when you go down to Atley. Which we must do without further delay. You will leave it. Why not? It's already served its purpose in uniting us for the common cause. Acclaim it for that. But be careful not to tamper with it. At this close range, it could cause serious damage to your computers. Is that correct, Orac? No. Negative. Denied. Incapable of damage. The surest way of protecting Orac from damage is to switch him off. Is that correct, Aiden? Leave us the key. Why? Orac's far too valuable for needless risk. Atlee shuttle on orbit vectors for teleporting. Right. Our next episode is Voice from the Past. Yeah. At the beginning of this episode, the Liberator crew are partaking in a session of space yoga. <laughs> Apparently, they're all in, <laughs> in various <laughs> positions, and they're doing space yoga. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then uh, Blake hears a sort of a high-pitched tone and says, what's that high-pitched tone? Everyone else goes, I can't hear a high-pitched tone, apart from Caddy, who says you might have heard something. So Blake gets a bit mad-eyed and just sort of wanders off. Uh, Villa is on the bridge and uh, talking to Blake about the planet they're going to, which is called Del-10. So again with the Dells. We've had Del, yes. had Del Terrans in the last episode, we've had Del-10 in this one. So uh, Villa says to Blake, you know, the, the planet's lovely and has lots of uh, apparently Vita particles, which they're looking forward to seeing, and there's low gravity, and it's, it's basically just a lovely place to go. Blake doesn't say anything, uh, fiddles with the controls and leaves again. Villa asks Zen how long it's going to be till they get to Del-10. Zen tells him that the course to Del-10 has been cancelled and they are now off to somewhere called Asteroid PK-118. Villa, more than a little annoyed about this, goes and tells the others and Avon's equally pissed off and everyone's like, hey, what the hell, man? Basically. <laughs> and Blake says, "Ah, oh, we're off on a priority mission. And they, you know, the rest of the crew sort of say, well, you, know, you, you always explain what you've done in the past. And, uh, and Blake goes, I command here. And everybody else goes, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <There's> reason. <laughs> like, fuck you, command here. Yeah. <laughs> and so Blake wanders off. And uh, Avon says, look, something's up with him. And they discover that... Uh, when Blake's resting, he's sort of starting to have sort of uh, attacks, and he's reliving his uh, interrogation and conditioning by the Federation. Uh, at one point, he, uh, Blake becomes quite hysterical, which involves Avon trying to, like, you know, being the classically trained nurse that Avon is, he immediately karate chops him in the chest a couple of times <laughs> in order to get him to calm down. It's the future. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so Avon is discussing the situation with Callie and sort of, he says to Callie, I take it you could get, get more from that than I could. And they piece together that basically he's reliving his his interrogation. Jenna suggests hooking up Aurak to uh, Blake's mind so they can so they can scan him. And Aurak identifies the tone as being used by uh, criminotherapists. Sort of like <laughs> behavioural behavioral therapists. All oh, right, okay. And uh, no, not therapists, That's, that's... 
Although they do get mentioned in this episode. Yes. And uh, Avon sort of knows what it's to do with. Basically, they would indoctrinate and brainwash someone with a combination of drugs and this tone to induce a hypnotic state. And then after a few days, they wouldn't need the drugs anymore, and the tone would be enough just to put the subject into a state of hypnosis. So they're wondering if Blake is falling asleep, dreaming about the tone, and then essentially hypnotizing himself. Orak recommends that uh, they use Jenna to connect to Blake to try and use like a, as therapy to try and clear out the conditioning. Uh, Blake goes a bit bonkers again, and so they have to tranquilize him. Uh, they, they say that they're going to uh, have treatment periods of uh, five minutes, five minute treatment periods with one hour rest periods, which makes it 26 hours until they can sort of uh, clear out the conditioning. So uh, Jenna goes off for a rest. <laughs> Essentially, in, in all but name, Callie says she's off to make her a cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> she says you need a hot drink and a lie down. So <laughs> See, the space perception is about making each other tea. There we go. <laughs> and uh, Blake is left in the charge of Villa. Uh, Villa takes off the tranquilizer for a bit to give Blake some water. And while he's untranquilized, Blake convinces convinces Villa that Avon and Callie have teamed up to try and take over the ship. Uh, he th- <laughs> Villa falls for this like an idiot. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> With the wonderful line where, well, Avon has been excluding me a bit lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like from the beginning of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so he convinces... Um, Villa, that the answer to the problem is on this asteroid, so Villa changes course again. And then, so while Villa is changing course, Blake locks the other three together in the uh, in the yoga room, for want of a better room for it, because that's not... <laughs> you've never seen this room on the Liberator before, it's just the room they're doing yoga in. Yeah. So the uh, the Liberator arrives at this asteroid... And Blake says he tells Villa that he's intending to leave the others there just to cool off and you know, think, basically to think about what they've done because it's an it's an abandoned minder asteroid, but the uh, the facilities are all still there. Blake teleports down, you know, puts on a spacesuit, and teleports down into an oil painting of a planet. Yep, yep. <laughs> and he goes into this base, and then he loses uh, Villa loses contact with him, and then panics, and then says. Says to Blake, "I'm going to have to get the others." So he goes and releases the releases the others, who are less than happy with him. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, during this time, Callie's been speculating about the fact that uh, maybe what's affecting Blake is a project that they were working on on Aaron, uh, a way of uh, beaming simple telepathic signals over long distances directed at specific people, and. Callie is suggesting that that is what's being used to activate Blake's condition. On the planet, Blake has a gun pointed at him and is led into a room where he meets uh, Ven Glind, uh, the character from the very first episode, the Arbiter General, who he says that he's... nothing he, like him. Who, you know, played by a completely different actor, looks nothing like him and has a ridiculous beard now, uh, who is now defected from the Federation. And he also meets uh, Nagoo, who's the guy who pulls the gun on him. And he meets a uh, a well-known rebel, now very, very badly injured and covered in bandages, by the name 
of Shivan. Yeah. <laughs> Shivan is practically unintelligible. It's very hard to work out what he's saying because he's he's very very injured. He's talking in a slurred voice and apparently some sort of Eastern European accent. It seems that uh, Venglind has been collecting lots of information against the Federation, and there is a um, a governor's summit meeting that is due to be held, and it's at that meeting that Glynn is intending to indict the Federation and list all of its crimes. So uh, Blake contacts everybody out, everybody else, and says, "Look, come down. I've you know, I've you know, got a fantastic way of uh, of sorting things out." So Jennifer Jed- Avon come down. He introduces him to everybody and basically gets all passionate about the fact that you know, now we have a real chance to hurt the Federation. We've hurt them here and there, but yeah, you know, we haven't really done very much. It's all been all talk, no action, but now we can make a difference. So begrudgingly, Jenner and Avon hand over their spare bracelets so they can uh, teleport Glind and Shivan and the goo up to the ship. And they explain that uh, somebody called Governor Legrand of Altogal, who is going to be chairing this Governor's Senate meeting, is yeah, a sympathiser and has been working with Shivan and Glind in order to indict the Federation. Legrand contacts Servalan to uh, discuss the arrangements for this Senate meeting. Servalan, very relaxed, <laughs> playing with her toy flower that we last saw in her weapon. Oh yes, that's right. And uh, after the conversation with um, Legrand is over, <laughs> uh, makes it quite clear that she's on to Legrand. Like she knows Legrand is up to something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, it doesn't help that she's the worst actor I've seen in a long time. Oh, we'll we'll get to that. We will get to that in vigorous detail. Yeah. So they, uh, the Liberator goes off to uh, rendezvous with Governor Legrand. Uh, Villa is appointed deputy leader. <laughs> and, it, and he's told to go over and um, meet Legrand and bring Legrand over to, to the Liberator Legrand tells Blake that after they indict the Federation they need to replace the leadership and she, they've decided that uh, Blake is the man to sort of basically take over running everything which is why they um, use, why they use what they call the course interceptor uh, Orak says that the uh, the Federation would be working on a course interceptor as a way to uh, override computer systems, whereas the people on Auron were much more clever and decided to attack the weaker link of the chain, which is the human mind. So th- the idea being that you would telepathically influence the pilot rather than the computer controlling the ship to get them to change course and go to wherever you want. Uh, Orak points out that Blake is still under control of this device, because now that they're what, nearby, they only need low power to make it work. So as they're going off to the uh, the shuttle, so they're going to teleport over to the Governor's shuttle and land on this planet for the summit in the shuttle. But before they can, Avon and Callie pull a, pull guns on them, and Orak explains that yeah, that the, the course interceptor is still influencing him and everything. But uh, Blake is un- remains unconvinced. And he deactivates Orak because Glind said that the uh, the course interceptor could be uh, could cause damage to the computers, despite Orak's very violent denial of this. So he deactivates Orak and takes the key with him down to the planet. Uh, the injured Shivan decides to stay on board the Liberator because he's too weak to come down, and uh, 
Nagoo, who it turns out is Governor Legrand's bodyguard, is told to stay behind with Shivan. So Blake, Jenna, Villa, Glind and Legrand all teleport down to uh, wherever this summit is taking place. Meanwhile, back on board the Liberator, and Nagoo turns up with a knife in his back and collapses dead. Here we go. And it turns out that Shivan is actually none other than... Cosplay Travis. He's joining me in uh, Movember, seemingly. <laughs> well, to be fair, he's had his head wrapped in bandages. It's not very easy just to take it off, have a shave, and then put them back on again. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, that, <laughs> Travis has been sent in disguise as Shivan as part of the yeah. Serverland has been on them from the beginning. Uh, uh, Legrand and Glind walk into what they think is going to be a full reception hall, but it's completely empty. And then uh, Serverland leaves the second greatest answer phone machine message in the world <laughs> on a gigantic cinema screen with lots of artful shots of her eyes and her mouth talking and stuff. Uh, basically says, I've been onto you for the start. I can't believe you've got this far up to your plot and not realised we're onto you. <laughs> Loser! <laughs> and then cuddles up a bunch of Federation guards who then proceed to uh, slaughter everybody in the room, including Legrand. Uh, Glind is wounded and taken back to the chamber anteroom. Uh, Blake and Jenna make it back there as well. Uh, Villa is in there the whole time. He's he chosen not to leave. Uh, Blake starts having another freak out. So it's like Gareth Thomas breaking out his best headache acting. <laughs> and in a sort of blind rage and panic, he rips off his teleport bracelet. Uh, Callie's trying to teleport them up. Jenna is trying to say, no, don't teleport us up. Blake hasn't got his bracelet on. Uh, so Jenna takes her bracelet off. Villa is teleported back up uh, as he sees Jenna take her bracelet off. Travis is uh, Travis at this point has been teleported down to the Liberator from the Liberator because he's made, into uh, that room. Yeah, into that room. Uh, Glind like sees Travis, realizes he's been betrayed, and sort of starts beating him up. Which is impressive given he's been shot. Yes. <laughs> Travis gets pwned by wounded old man. Yeah. Uh, back on the liberator, Avon's trying to work out how to sort of deactivate the course of the course of deception. Eventually, goes, yeah, what? Fuck it, and smashes it to pieces. <laughs> uh, this works, and uh, Blake gets his senses back. So Jenna and Blake put their bracelets back on and teleport back up. And meanwhile, the Federation troops break into the antechamber, and Travis is left captured by the Federation troops. Once they get back up to the ship. Blake has no memory of what's happened. He's asking what everybody's standing around for. They're meant to be trying to find Star One. Everybody get on with it. And Avon regrettably reports that Blake is is back to his normal self. An arsehole. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Wilson, your thoughts on this? Oh, fuck this episode. <laughs> <laughs> to quote Des Reddick, but, oh... What the hell? <laughs> so, no, this, this episode makes me very ambivalent. Really? Seriously, because it's sort of shit and good at the same time. <laughs> which, which is a rare feat. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that applies to hostage. Very possibly. Yeah. But I think this episode even more so, because I mean, 
the first half of the episode, there's some, yeah, there's some tense stuff. What's going on with Blake? There's some really interesting ideas being thrown up. Yeah, the yes. idea of a conspiracy. Well, almost like a conspiracy against the Federation, which is good motives but bad execution. Yeah, they're trying to take over his mind to get him to join them when yeah, pretty much all they'd have to do was ask, really. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a lot of trouble to go to, like to um, capture Blake. If they, if they know where Blake is to use the um, the course interceptor, why don't they just send him a message and say, "Hey, Blake, we're planning to overthrow the Federation. Want to help?" <laughs> But no, instead, we'll, we'll fuck with your mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, perhaps because they're ex-Federation, that's all they know. <laughs> Just reverting it, to type. It goes back to cosplay Travis. It's like, I think we should work together, but if we don't, I will kill this person who you love. Um, <laughs> they're not great at negotiation, the Federation. No, no, not really. Yeah, um, there's, there's lots of interesting ideas and stuff happening, but it's the execution yeah. that oh, yes. falls to pieces. I mean, pretty oh, yes. much the instant you slap eyes on Shivan, yes. it's just like, what? I can tell you exactly what I said the moment I uh, slapped eyes on Shivan. Right. In fact, well, anyone can go and uh, look at this on my Twitter feed, um, at Museum Walker Ian. Um, because I had been uh, forewarned about parts of this episode, specifically Siobhan, by uh, the Reverend Horgan, um, who I believe we're hearing from <laughs> in the non-too-distant future. Indeed. So if, if, if I may re- read out some of my tweets, Dave. Certainly, carry on. Read out the tweets that, as you, of the episode as you experienced it. Right, okay. Oh, for fuck's sake, a paper mache Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> and he says, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, c- carry on, sir. And he said, sounds like Tommy Wiseau. Good God. <laughs> and then, upon the reveal, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> I am at a loss for words. Hopefully that will change in a few hours or it will be a fairly short episode. <laughs> I'm no longer at a loss for words. <laughs> in I, that case, speak the words. I just don't know how to channel them exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you almost have to feel sorry for Brian Croucher, don't you? He's given a bit of a mountain to climb in this episode. Right, we're going to put you in a blanket, cover your head in bandages with a with a stick-on eye. <laughs> well, yeah, his head is wrapped in bandages, everybody, but he has like a glass eye poking out from it. I was watching this with Gillian, and Gillian was sat there going like, whose I- who's idea like, as a surgeon is that? Well, we'll patch it up, don't we? We'll stick an eye, oh, we've left an eye out. Oh, that's right, just stick it on the top, no one will notice, it's fine. You think if Servland hadn't have killed off Marriott's... You know, this, 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 this could have been a lot more convincing. So he's completely covered from head to toe. His face is completely covered, which for any actor is a challenge. True, but, true. you know, the accent he decides to to deliver this entire performance in is yeah. some sort of Slovakian tramp. Yeah. He's, he's got some Tommy, sort of, he's, Tommy Wiseau. 
I, I don't know who Tommy Wiseau is. Who's Tommy Wiseau? The, the Room. The what? The Room. What's The Room? Oh, you're kidding me. Apparently oh, not. I know something about films Dave doesn't. <laughs> this is brilliant. The The Room is um, a, a notoriously bad film that was made in... 2003, which has become an internet sensation. All right. Uh, let me just... I mean, Tranquil Tirades have done a full episode on the run. In that case, uh, I'll look up that particular episode, I think. But please do. Please do. Um, Although, by the, by the sound of it, if it's been covered by Tranquil Tirades, I've had a lucky escape. <laughs> Apparently, it is the ultimate so bad it's good film. Right. Um, because it's just nonsensical. If you want pictures put to words, um, that guy with the glasses of about four interviewers who've done, like, reviews on the thing. Right. Uh, but, oh, it's, it, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But anyway, yes, a, a very dodgy East, <laughs> East European accent. Which is being smothered by a bunch of bandages, which means half the time you've got no idea what he's saying. It sounds yeah. a lot like this. It is like one of those racist Star Wars accents. <laughs> It, yeah, it's like someone's been asked to do like a racist Star Wars accent with their head in a bucket. <laughs> so, you know, as, as much as it's, it's undeniably shit, yeah. your heart breaks a little for Brian Crouch. It's like you know, showing up for your day's work. <laughs> you know, you've trained as an actor, you've been in several things, but in, today you're wearing a blanket with a bandage on your head and talking like a Slavic tinker. <laughs> but that's the thing because you can't actively sympathise with Brian Croucher until the reveal which doesn't <laughs> happen until the beginning of the third act and then you're like oh mate yeah, that's what the they've thing. done that's the thing because before all of that you're just going I hate this character <laughs> how on earth do they think this character can possibly work how am I meant to believe that is an actual, okay, badly damaged, but an actual human living character. <laughs> when it looks like that. <laughs> Seriously, everyone, go Google image search Shiva. Google go image search is going to be the picture accompanying this episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's only if they guess it through Earth 2, though. It's <laughs> a, a very good point, well made. For for the rest of you, uh, it's spelt according to Wikipedia S H E V O N. Because that's the thing. Because when I was looking at, it at Wikipedia, I was like, why isn't Shivon mentioned in the guest stars parts? Why is it not like random actor as Shivon? And that should have ticked me off. <laughs> But, oh, God, it, that's, that's the thing. Why didn't, as soon as anyone saw that, they just burst out laughing? <laughs> I mean, it, I, 
it's not entirely fair to have a go at Blake 7 for its cheapness. And I think, you know, for the most part, it's either of its time or they hide things remarkably well. Well, I mean, look at the last episode. Yeah. At, at no point are you dragged away particularly by the effects, apart from maybe, like, the space drill. There's, like, yeah, because there's so much going on and it's well-written and everything, and they're, fa- they're fairly conservative with the effects they're showing, to be honest. Yeah. But, yeah, the whole thing is, you know, conceived and executed really well. And then Shivan turns up. I mean, like I, like I said in the synopsis, when Blake teleports down to the planet, they've got so little money that they can't afford to do the outside of the planet. So he just teleports yeah. into, the, into a painting of a planet. Yeah. It's, it's quite clearly just a, paint, a bad painting. It's a child's drawing of an alien planet. Yeah. Which is like a green screen in behind Blake. Yeah. It's just like, oh. but that, I mean, I think that's my complaint. I think this episode is asking me to believe in far too much. Um, part, partially the, the exterior shots, partially Shivon, but then also um, then Glind. Yeah, who, who is completely and utterly different from the last... I mean, yes, sometimes you do have to replace actors who want to bring a character back yeah. and the actor isn't available, but yeah. yeah, they could have just made him look like the character did before. He doesn't even look like him. That's the thing. I had to, as soon as I finished this, I had to go back and look at the way back, and I had to try and pick out which one of them Venglind was. And in the, in the very first episode, the guy who plays Venglind looks like a kind of silver fox Jeremy Irons. Yeah, that's, I think that's a fair assessment. Whereas, how would you describe the guy who plays Venglind in this episode? Oh, God. It's like John Hurt in Hellboy. He looks like somebody who's playing, like, a Greek in something. Like a bad... <laughs> some sort of bad production of Oedipus. <laughs> You've got a very kind of Greek sort of chin beard going on. Yes. And you do get lots of uh, close-ups of him looking a bit shifty. Yes. And that's the thing, because the idea is that this guy is partially guilty for the the show trial that uh, show trial that sent Blake off to Cygnus Alpha at the very beginning. Yeah. And you know, he's he's you know, he's come clean that okay, the evidence was falsified and it did lead to the death of your defence lawyer and his wife. Which in 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 all in all fairness they do actually reference in this episode as uh, part of the evidence against the Federation. And Blake does uh, um, react to it, does he, as well? Because he, he didn't know about that, did he? No, he, he didn't know about the, the defence lawyer at all. No. Because uh, the last... I mean, I think it was the penultimate shot of uh, the defence lawyer... Do you remember his name? Uh, Baron. Baron. And his wife just standing at the feet of uh, Virgil Tracy. And... <laughs> I mean, uh, and then um, the, the last thing's like uh, take one good last look at it son you'll never get back there and so, oh yes I will da, 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 da. Um, so... <laughs> Ian Wilson's talking books are going to be available for Big Finish and... <laughs> <laughs> hell if it's a money spinner I'll do it <laughs> but um, but um, yeah, so you're asked to believe 
that this guy has turned, to use wrestling parlance, turned face. Yeah. And for one thing, it's difficult because it's not the same actor to begin with. But it's also difficult because, like, what? So this guy was collecting evidence, so he stood there and watched an innocent man get framed purely so he could collect evidence of the Federation. Thing is, yeah. he, he is committed, in the first episode, he sets up, he gets everyone together to fake the evidence to um, fit him up. Yeah, as a paedophile. Yeah. That's like, that's like Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven assembling everybody together to rob the casinos and then turning them all in for the reward money, going, they did it. <laughs> that makes no, that's, no sense. That's a bit, there is no tension between Blake and then Glind. And granted, you can argue that it is because he is being hypnotised throughout. Yeah. That, that, would, but, that would be my defence of that, in all, in all fairness. But wouldn't he be in the least bit surprised, though? A little bit, but then again, like yeah, he he is under the influence of the machine. I think I think any yeah. out out of character behaviour for Blake, you can always just sort of hand wave with uh, he's under the influence of the course interceptor. So that, that's probably fair then. But there are plenty of genuine reasons to kick this episode, but that is sort of having to invent <laughs> some. For instance, yeah. Governor Legrand. Oh, here we go. Oh my good god. Yeah. Just what the <laughs> hell? But for, for she some, must have she can't pronounce the word serverland. <laughs> she can't pronounce the name serverland. How hard is it to say serverland? Serverland. There we go. <laughs> Hello, Supreme Commander Serverland. <laughs> so what what did you then we're going to, like, cut. Look, look, it's pronounced Serverland. Savalan. Servalan. Savalan. Servalan. Savlon. <laughs> For all your nasty grazes. Clearly <laughs> a little wide-eyed psycho. Look, when she starts, like, ranting to Blake about, oh, our plans were complete, and her eyes are bulging out of her head. It's like, she's a lunatic. She has to be on some kind of drugs. I mean, it, it's terribly acted, but I mean, I can kind of almost understand why Glyn decided to use the course interceptor, because I think if Blake actually met Legrand sort of, <laughs> one, without being under the influence of hypnosis, he'd be like, you're nuts, woman! And you're nuts by my standards! Me! Rod Blake! <laughs> I don't know if the government... I don't know whether it's just that she's a bad actress, or if the character was meant to be a bit... On, on the wacky side herself. Just because, I mean, Serverland's just like, oh, come on, we had you sussed out from the moment we saw you. And everyone watching at home goes, yes, obviously you did. This woman can't act to save her life, but you don't know if it's the actress herself or the character being a really bad liar. It's probably both. There's possibly some of it some of that in the script, but I think most of it is just coming from the fact that the actress just isn't very good. And but, I you think... Know, the... if, you could, if you could pronounce the word Servalan, I'd happily yeah. accept that it was down to performance. Yeah. When she can't get the names of one of the main characters right, I just can't help but think it's just because she's shit. I think the, the, the best slash most cringeworthy thing that she did was... Um, the, the triumvirate. Um, oh, yeah. Where she, 
where she gets uh, her hand and Blake's hand and Shivon's hand together and kind of just yells, Here we are! The Triumvirate! Like, oh, great. You, you have a Triumvirate of Blake, a lousy actress, and a paper mache twat. Take that, society! Yeah. Oh, that's going to be so much better than Federation. Because that's the whole idea. That's the whole idea. That they're going to replace the Federation with Blake, with Shivon as another inspirational figurehead. No, that's, that's Nick Clegg to Blake's David Cameron. <laughs> if Nick Clegg were just shuffling around in paper mache. Well, I think you just need to add Pepe Amache to Nick Clegg, and you've pretty much got Siobhan now anyway. Yeah, no, she's, she's an absolute loon. On the other hand, Servalan is only in two scenes in this episode, but he's awesome in both of them. Yeah, I've, I've got this theory that Servalan's probably best in small doses. Not not in the That's not to say I, I wouldn't appreciate seeing her helming an episode or anything like that, but she's the kind of character who can be done very effectively in a couple of scenes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that scene where she's talking to Legrand about the, the conference coming up, and it's like, it, you can just see this, the way that Jacqueline Pierce plays it. It's, it's a predator playing with its prey. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, she's just sitting there smiling and laughing, and, and she's saying, oh, well, maybe I could raise this point in the, raise this, you know, this point in the meeting. Oh, be my guest. Go right ahead. Go ahead and raise it in the meeting that you're not that you're going to get killed at. <laughs> I look forward to being at that meeting. <laughs> She's just sort of very amused at having the conversation with somebody who's quite obviously lying to her, and, and <laughs> thinks that Servalan doesn't spot it immediately. Yeah, but then uh, another reason why I should have been a bit more wary is like, oh, Servalan's in this episode. Oh, does that mean Travis is going to be in it? <laughs> and unfortunately, yes. Yes, he was. <laughs> in, in, in kind of completely the opposite way as well. It's because you know how Servalan was brilliant in the few scenes she was in? Yes. What does Travis do once he unmasks? Uh, he goes, ah, I, it is me all along. He goes, like, to the teleport. And then teleports down, gets beaten up by an old man and captured by some guards. There we go. Utter crap. That is what cosplay Travis brings to the table. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> he doesn't know where the table is. <laughs> He'd probably just trip over the table and fall on his ass. Again, when, when I was watching this with Gillian, one thing she pointed out was, like, Travis has never seen the teleport work. I mean, this is Travis's first time aboard the Liberator. Yeah, that's one of my notes. So he's never seen the teleport work. So no. Callie could just as easily send him to be teleported into space. Uh, in fairness... Because they've done that a couple of times before, haven't they? They have, but through changing the coordinates. And he does say, you know, don't touch that console. <laughs> you just bring me down as I... at the, at the point you're at. Fair enough. I mean, I, mean, I missed that part then. It was a single line of dialogue, right? But yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that would explain it. In, 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 you know, if the episode explains it, then I withdraw my complaint. 
<laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, there is a point there, though. Well, don't, sh- sh- let's look at some of the positives. Okay. Um, one thing I, I found very interesting was um, Orac was brought centre stage again. Yes. And, I mean, to their credit, they haven't actually been overusing Orac as much as I feared that they would at the beginning of the season. Uh, I know he was used in Countdown, but that wasn't... Um... In fact, he wasn't even on the screen, was he? No, he wasn't. He was just... They, they just went off to, to... Villa went off to use Orac to translate. Yeah. And then, five minutes later, it was it was ready. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that was interesting. And Orac did seem like an active player helping out Avon and Cali in the face of possessed Blake. And it's got to the point where Avon now definitely sees him more as, as a useful member, for want of better words, uh, to the crew. Actually, there was a nice little reference to Shadow as well. When they're talking about getting hold of the, telepath- the telepathic interceptor. Oh yes, yes, that's right. They're talking about, can Orac deactivate it? And Orac says, I have specific measures put in place against telepathic interference. And then Avon smiles and goes, oh, yes, that's right, you do, because he put them in there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if you do anything about it, you'll blow up. <laughs> yes. But again, that's, yeah, that's quite good use of past continuity to explain why Orac isn't... can't just find it and shut it down. Because if, yeah. cause if it did try to telepathically influence him, it would blow him up, so... So, yeah, it's, it's a nice callback and also serves the main plot. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other things. What? I quite liked uh, Nagu. The, yeah, the he was all right. For, yeah, a bearded loony. <laughs> well, you, you, you saw that he was a loyal um, character. I mean, initially you think it's he, he's laying down his life for this ridiculous character <laughs> and then you find out oh he, a- he actually served the other ridiculous character <laughs> but you know you, you, you want competent loyal people around and apart from the fact that um, when he had his back turned a knife was inserted into it uh, he, he did seem pretty effective oh yeah well he, he gets the drop on Avon and Callie doesn't he when they they pull the guns on the rest of them and he gets back yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's only Legrand calling him off which stops him from killing them. Indeed. Um, I, I did like Avon and Callie's partnership in this episode, actually. Yes, yes. Even though she's still on the ship, Callie and... Because, I mean, we haven't really seen Callie and Avon work together this well since probably Mission, Mission to Destiny, when they were solving the murder. Yeah, yeah. And they do, when, they, when they're put together, they do make a very effective double act. Yes. So why does Callie just keep getting left with Jenna? I know. It's just even more frustrating, isn't it? Because when, when Callie and Jenna have a double act, they do nothing. Except get on each other's nerves. Exactly. Which would be more interesting if they got on each other's nerves a bit more readily. Yes. Other than yeah, just because it's like just tapping your fingers on the console or something like that. Exactly. What? <laughs> yeah. But other than that, there's not many positives to draw from this episode. And yet, at the same time, I still kind of enjoy it. I can't put my finger on why. (laughs) 
Nor can I. There's, there's, there's so many reasons to hate it, and yet I don't hate it as much as, like, the web. <laughs> it's, it's still not as bad as the web, as far as I'm concerned. Right, what don't you like about the web, Dave? Well, other than the fact it's shit. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the web is... This far into the series, the web is still the, the benchmark of shit Blake 7 for me. Uh I mean, for me, this comes close. <laughs> Within a hair's breadth of the web. I don't... <laughs> Within a, a cobweb's breadth. <laughs> I don't know. All right, um, just, just a, a trivia point. Is this the first time we've seen um, Travis actually fire his... Uh, and, and kill someone with his gun hand? In this series? Maybe. Or, or in general. Well, I mean, I, I, uh, Tra- Travis Prime has shot several people with his gun hand. I'm failing to remember who. Uh, he shot a Fibian with it in, um, in Orak. Yeah, the one that attacked Servalan when they're in the caves. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, is this the first time cosplay Travis has killed someone with his gun hand? I think so, yes. Okay. You, you've seen him waving it about a lot, but I don't think you've actually seen him kill anyone with it yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should we let somebody else take the microphone for a little bit? <laughs> to give ourselves have... some time to recover from the ranting. I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy this. Me too. Well, <laughs> we have, as previously mentioned, we have some feedback from the uh, the Reverend Peter Organ and uh, his lovely wife Anne-Marie, who celebrated her birthday uh, in the, uh, this week just gone. So, uh, oh, happy, happy. happy birthday, Anne-Marie, from everyone at Shake and Blake. <laughs> All two of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But let's see what they have to say about this likeable debacle. Hello. Hello. Peter, I'm Amri here, and I've still, I've still got the giggles from Shivali. <laughs> I so, so love that episode for all the wrong reasons. Oh, <laughs> he's like a French drunkard. Blake. Is it? Is it Blake? <laughs> well, you've got lumps of it out the back. <laughs> Because it's a swing. <laughs> 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 Louis's googly eye. I know, he's like an oogly. Why the hell did they stick that googly eye I don't know. In? Who thought that was going to look like credible? How did they <laughs> not guess? <laughs> and he's like, he's just got all these bandages round his face and he's just literally looking weak and crap. Why did they never look underneath the bandages? I mean... Did- do you never, does he never change his clothes? <laughs> <laughs> does, does his dressings not need changing, if that's what they actually are? Well, then he's googly eye. would fall. Man of a thousand disguises, everyone lame. <laughs> there are some good things about this episode. I mean, the basic concept of sort of tying into Blake's uh, sort of torture, if you like, right back to the, from the first episode. That's very clever stuff. And you've got um, your Arbiter General, where he's called back again. They give the, the lady something to do for a change. Yeah, it's the first won't. episode in ages they've been allowed to leave the Liberator. Uh, although Callie doesn't make it out, does she? No. No, but Jenna does at least. There's a nice callback to Aurak being telepathically blocked. Mm. Uh, is it Shadow, the one where he screwed Callie up? It's a nice spaceship model work if you like Thunderbirds. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Start humming. Yeah, but then 
<laughs> Not only have you got Chivan on the downside, you've got Govla Legrand, who's the most scary, scary woman ever. Uh-huh. You don't see her blink once, I think. She's part lizard. Very scary. Why the heck they didn't transport Travis into the midst of space rather than oh, beaming know. him down, I don't know. But that, that's that's still more understandable than having somebody wear the same bandages <laughs> all the time without changing them and not looking underneath them once to see if perhaps there was maybe some kind of injury that justified said bandages. You imagine I haven't smelt you out? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, and then Villa acts like an utter tit. Yeah. It's very hard to... I mean, I know he's he's not always supposed to be the cleverest guy, but, I mean, it, this his, his acts of stupidity in this are really, really annoying, actually. And afterwards, Blake, at the end, Avon's like, are you going to say thank you? And he's like, no, 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 what are we doing? Why aren't we doing anything? I'm, I'm just, just like, you're like Colin Baker's doctor. Now, now. I wouldn't have you bad mouthing. Oi, if I was travelling in the TARDIS with Colin Baker, I'd last one adventure and then I'd be out there. Because he's just an ass. <laughs> and that's what Blake is like. He wasn't always like that the first season, but this sort of episode, for me, that would be the end of it. I'd be just like, no, I've had it. Bye. He has got worse, hasn't he, Blake? Yeah, Definitely. he has. Yeah. He has. And for me, that would just take the biscuit. They've just rescued him, and all he's done is had a go at them. Well, I'd leave. Fuck you very much. Exactly. <laughs> leave, yes. Well, like you said, well, why don't you just trust me? Early on in the episode, they could have turned around. We did. Gan died. <laughs> yes, quite. Although, to be fair to Blake, at the time, he was rather under the influence. Quite how they hadn't figured that out, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the one story in which Travis redeems himself by adopting the world's crappiest disguise ever. Yes. <laughs> if only you couldn't stay a Shivan for the rest of the season. I there know, we go. As soon I as know. He... especially with that googly eyes. Yeah, it's brilliant. As soon as he whips the bandage off, he's like, oh. <laughs> but also, with that googly eye in the place of his fake one. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> oh. I mean, why put an eye there at all? He clearly couldn't bloody see through it. Wouldn't the, <laughs> would you, wouldn't the disguise be more effective if he'd had no eye rather than a fake plastic googly one? <laughs> just... <laughs> it's best not to think too deeply no, about these things. no. No. Here we I go. S- I suppose not. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. <laughs> yes, we've had a good time watching this. And I'm, I'd be particularly interested to hear uh, Ian's yes. first reaction yes. on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Blake Seven at his best. <laughs> God bless, chaps. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, you've heard my reaction. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think they pretty much covered all the points we made. Really, it's just what. <laughs> but again, like like Org, I I can't help liking it, but I it, I can't put my finger on any particular reason why. You see, I I just don't feel able to like. No, I I say that but there are good bits of deduction from um, Callie and Avon and, and Orac to, to give it its credit. Um, Jenna has something to do and Serverland's effective for the couple of scenes she's in. The rest of it, no. <laughs> just no. Just just no. It's a, it's a thumbs just down no. for the Wilson camp. 
Pretty much. Well, having calmed down from that uh, tirade, let's bring on the Who Count. Countdown. We have a uh, Tom Chapman, who played Del Grant, was a uh, Duggan in City of Death, and he was Murdine in the Trial of a Time Lord episodes one to four. Yeah. Uh, Paul Shelley, who played uh, Provine, was a uh, Persuasion in Fall to Doomsday. Was he a good guy? But, no, he's a villain. Oh, there's a surprise. <laughs> uh, Nigel Gregory, who played Arian. Played uh, Sergeant Vince Wilson in K9 and Company. <laughs> We're counting that, sir. Oh, yes. <laughs> Toby Byrne, who played a rebel, was a Dalek operator in Revelation of the Daleks. <laughs> Peter Canton, who was a trooper, was a sea base guard in Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> yes, you'll be important people then. Yeah, yeah, don't belittle these people. <laughs> If it wasn't for them filling out the background, it'd just be empty sets. <laughs> True. Uh, the awesomely named Rocky Taylor, wow, who played a trooper, was a stuntman on the Idiot's Lantern, the David Tennant story. Uh, okay. And uh, we, we have some familiar faces from previous episodes. Uh, the Derek Southern, who played a Krag at one point. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said familiar face. <laughs> familiar to the Who count. A Krog? Uh, in uh, Sharda. Oh, okay. And uh, Robert Smythe, who played a trooper, who you remember has previously played a ceremony observer in Space. <laughs> yes. Our, our favourite ceremony observer. Wow. <laughs> and Ray Knight, who played a trooper, was... A soldier in Robot, the Sorensen monster in Planet of Evil, a coven member in the image of Fendal, a Mentiad in the Pirate Planet, Lex's Dion in Meglos, policeman with bike in Legopolis, <laughs> a Tryon in Planet of Fire, and a member of Glitz's crew in Dragonfire. <laughs> uh, Which brings us a who counts of nine wow. for Countdown. That's a record. It is a record, yes. It's the highest two count so far. Yes. But it, it's a very extras-heavy episode, isn't it, as well? So. Well, yes, in fairness. Right, so we for A Voice of the Past, we have Henry Fielder was the Krog commander in Charter. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is all extras. <laughs> well, seriously, if you're starting with a Krog commander. Yeah. Uh, Ian Munro, who played a, a rebel, was an alien tech in the war games. Our old friend Robert Smythe. <laughs> <laughs> the ceremony <laughs> observer is... There we go. There we go. Yeah, this is probably the most press that Robert Smythe has ever had in his entire career. <laughs> this is a Robert Smythe fan cast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shake and Blake listeners, somebody out there, let's get the Robert Smythe Facebook page started. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Summerand, who's also been previously mentioned on the Who Count, 
played uh, many roles, but I, I seem to remember he got most laughs for the fact that he played a steaming audience member. In there the we go. <laughs> Uh, Reg Turner, who was a trooper, played a foul soldier in Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, Jules Walters, who played a rebel, was a sea devil in Warriors of the Deep. And Reg Woods, who played a rebel, also played a Krog. And, hey. but this is the big one, one of the troopers was played by a man called Pat Gorman. Right. Now, Pat Gorman is something of an unsung hero in certain quarters of Who fandom. Pat Gorman is an extra who has played many parts and has appeared in 83 episodes of the original run of Doctor Who. Strap in, folks. <laughs> so I think it's only fair to pay tribute to the works, the many works of Pat Gorman, is if I go through the entire list... Oh, boy. Strap yourselves in. Right. So, in roughly chronological order, he was a freedom <laughs> fighter in the Dalek invasion of Earth. He was a planetarian in Mission to the Unknown. He was a Greek soldier in the Myth Makers. He was a guard in the Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve. He was a worker in the War Machines. He was a monk in the Abominable Snowmen. He was a Cyberman in the Invasion. He was a military policeman in the War Games. He was a Silurian scientist in the Silurians. He was a technician in the Ambassadors of Death. He was a Prime Mod in Inferno. He was an, the Auton leader in Terror of the Autons. He was a primitive in the Colony of Space. A Coven member in the Demons. A guard in Day of the Daleks. A Sea Devil in the Sea Devils. A unit soldier in the Three Doctors. A guard in Frontier in Space. A guard in the Green Death. A unit corporal in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. A guard in the Monster of Paladin. A soldier in Planet of the Spiders. A guard in Robot. A foul soldier in Genesis of the Daleks. A Cyberman in Revenge of the Cyberman. A guard in the Seeds of Doom. A brother in the Mask of Mandragora. A guard in the Deadly Assassin. A medic in the Invisible Enemy. Crow in the Reboss Operation. A pilot in the Armageddon Factor. A thug in City of Death. A Gundan in Warrior's Gate. A foster in the Keeper of Traken. Grogan in Enlightenment, a soldier in the Caves of Androzani, and a Cyberman in Attack of the Cybermen. And I believe Norman in Brookside. <laughs> wow. Well done, sir. <laughs> As a career extra, he spans six screen doctors. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. The hefty claim to fame. So, I mean, that, I mean that, that's pay dirt as far as the Who count's concerned. <laughs> Now, does he show up in any other episodes of uh, Blake 7, though? Gambit. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, I don't think you need to do that again. <laughs> if he does. Well, I, maybe. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> like, let me just top this up. That gives us a who count of eight for Voice from the Past. Yeah. High-scoring episode. Well, again, they're, they're both very extras heavy, and seeing as, you know... Yes. The glory of IMDb, I now have access to the, to the extras count as well. And I think these people deserve to be celebrated. They do. They Especially do. the people who keep recurring, like the, uh, the great Robert Smythe. Especially Robert Smythe. And Derek Southern. And Derek Southern, yes. <laughs> They're my favourites. Absolutely. <laughs> Although, steaming audience member. <laughs> it's a hefty credit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we uh, take this one in then? Let's. What, if anything, is happening over at Earth 2? Uh, we have a store. A store? Yes. Um, for the first. Well, we, we had one briefly beforehand, but uh, this, this is an official one. 
Um, although, it, it, don't go asking for t-shirts and mugs. That's cliched. That's not what we do. Yes, <laughs> that's not what we sell. God, no. Um, we sell um, Earth 2 branded badges, or better known to Americans as buttons. And uh, Mike has started selling uh, some commentaries that he's been doing of uh, certain films, which we have not been doing as podcasts. So, oh, nice. Uh, this, this is original content that uh, he is selling. The most recent one has been for um, Batman Year One, the most recent uh, DC animated universe. Um, well, not animated universe, but uh, DC animated feature. Yeah. Which so, I haven't seen um, yet, and, and really want to. Well, there we go. So, uh, if you ever fancy um, watching any of the films Mike has done commentaries for, then why not consist, consider, uh, at a very reasonable price, getting a commentary track to go with what is probably on the D... To, yeah, as a nice compliment to the official uh, commentaries on the DVDs. What is the very reasonable price? Uh, I've not actually had a look, so I don't know. <laughs> Isn't it something like a, like one dollar fifty or something like that? Well, that's the thing because if you're British, that's obviously a very, very reasonable price. <laughs> not as reasonable as it would have been a couple of years ago. <laughs> Curse True. you, exchange rate. <laughs> well, what can I do about that? Hold on, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll just go to the Earth Two site and confirm confirm this. Doing your job for you, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> it should be something I should have prepared. <laughs> yes, one dollar fifty. There we go. And then there's also a commentary for the room. There we go. <laughs> there it, it all comes together for for uh, one dollar ninety nine. Uh, and there's also Superman, Batman, uh, Apocalypse on there. And uh, actually, one of our, our, our badges is about uh, a very popular Earth 2 meme, oh, right. uh, which is Baby Chest. Um, this goes back uh, to an old comic uh, starring the Marvel character Cable, oh, yeah. um, where he had an extended run of his own comics with a baby strapped to his chest. Right. And this was brought up in one of our reviews in the uh, written Is It Wednesday Yet comic reviews section. Right. Uh, I believe it was by uh, Dubs, DW of Extra Lives, Drop D and the Trent Pirates fame. And essentially, the review is just baby chest. There is a baby on his chest. <laughs> He's going into gun battles with a baby strapped to his chest. And ever since, uh, we have immortalised that view by, for anything that is worse than skipping comic book, as in the great art, buy, flip through, buy, borrow, flip through, or skip. If it is worse than skip this book, it is baby chest. <laughs> for something that is so bad, it makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, so like the web? Yes, the web is baby. The web is baby chest. chest. There we go. I like this. I I, I see us adopting this in future. 
I don't know, there's something still very uh, rudimentary and simple about just the web is shit. <laughs> the web is totally baby chest. <laughs> I haven't seen a more baby chest episode of Blake 7 than <laughs> the web. So that's the uh, big thing that's happened at Earth T this past month. We have a store. Excellent. Well, over at Geek Planet Online, uh, we've had a couple of uh, bits for Halloween. Uh, our good friends over in Ohio, uh, Mike and Ike, have uh, done a reading of The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, which is yeah. very good. It's, it's only about 15 minutes long, but it's very well executed, so go give that a listen. And uh, uh, one more go, the gaming podcast, again for Halloween, being covering the Left for Dead series, uh, carrying on their look of the, uh, the Thousand and One Games to Play Before You Die. Uh, and basically, they have a book called A Thousand and One Games to Play Before You Die. They're going through it, looking at each of the games, and seeing do they deserve to be in there, or <laughs> did somebody get a backhander? <laughs> and for for the most part, is it looking uh, up, up above board? So far, you know, I mean, there, there, there are some games that they disagree are in there, and there are some games which are saying that wholeheartedly, absolutely, yes, they should be in there. Oh, good. Also, uh, Jim Moon's podcast, Hit the Bobs, has been, oh, yes. recently covered the uh, controversial uh, BBC horror short, not horror short, horror show, uh, Ghost Watch, which, Indeed. Uh, which caused a great deal of hoo-ha at the, at, in Britain at the time. So if you fancy <laughs> finding out a bit more about that, uh, it, it's a very interesting story, actually. I mean, if you're not see, even if you haven't seen Ghost Watch, it's well... I know of it. I haven't sat down and watched it. Yeah, but even if you haven't but, seen Ghost Watch, Jim has ever put has put together a fantastically well researched podcast together. So, you know, to bring you up to speed, and <laughs> not just with why it's an important piece of uh, British horror, but also the sort of yeah, the, the cultural impact it had as well. Probably the best thing Sarah Green has ever done. <laughs> I, I think you're doing Attack of the Cybermen a sole disservice. <laughs> All right, her husband Mike Smith. Oh, that's probably fair enough. <laughs> as much as I enjoyed the ITV fitness based game show Body Heats <laughs> with, with him and Sally Gunnell oh dear <laughs> well I, I think this has reached its natural close don't you <laughs> probably protocol for your puppy day Careful with that. Your precious box of tricks. Precious to us all. But the most of all glean with this. Leave that, Chavan. For you alone, you the real master. Be careful. The eminence green. You imagine I haven't smelt you out? So, next episode, we'll have uh, be covering two more episodes of Blake 7. Those episodes will be Gambit. Yay! <laughs> and the key... <laughs> Oi, don't, don't, don't spoil these for me. Well, you know, I, 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 you might disagree. That's true, but I don't want to go in with preconceptions. Okay. <laughs> I was always on. I was already on guard about this Shivon due to Twitter, <laughs> and you were right to do so.
yes. Take it home, Mr. Wilson. All right, yes, yes. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Dave, for uh, your, your co-hosting duties. And uh, indeed, all the work that you've done on this and all the previous episodes uh, thus far. Okay. About <laughs> <laughs> left field there. I thank you, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, thanks is good, isn't it? Yes, no, thank you very much. Yeah, I want to recognise all the work you've been doing. Yeah, no, I, I just thought as, that's, as that's we... not that you'd be saving for like a series finale or something. It's just <laughs> well, I, I I figure it's uh, we've we've now been doing this for twelve months now. I suppose we have, haven't uh, we? I suppose we'll be getting yes. on. It'll be, it'll be a year next podcast, wouldn't it? A year next podcast. Wow. Indeed. So uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a a, a period for for reflection. Fair enough. Well, consider myself <laughs> completely reflected. Okay. <laughs> but given for what you were actually expecting, uh, I'll just merely say <laughs> that uh, until next month, it is goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Dave. Cheerio. Bye.